scripture for our message this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 16. We'll be reading the first five verses of Acts, chapter 16. That's on page 774 in your pew Bible, if you'd like to follow along. And I'd like to remind you that this is the very word of God, so please give it your careful and undivided attention. Acts, chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. Then he came to Derbe, and he came to Lystra, Lystra. and behold, a certain disciple was there, named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for the work of Paul and of Timothy. And as we're introduced to it here, as you accomplished many things through not earthly means, but rather through spiritual means that you had appointed. We thank you for leaders such as this that provide guidance for us even today. We ask now that you would bless our examination of this passage and this ban. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Any organization, whether it's Christian or otherwise, that owes its existence to one person, comes to a crossroads when it's time for that person to move on. And how that transition is handled is determinative for the future of that organization. If the succession is handled well, the organization can continue to thrive and even grow in some new ways. However, if it's not that organization can very quickly change and even cease to exist in short order. Now, obviously the church is not just any organization, but rather it's the expression of God's people here on earth, and it was established by Jesus Christ himself. Those who succeeded Jesus Christ were handpicked by him, and the church thrived under the leadership of those apostles. But is the very qualification to be an apostle meant having had a personal association with Christ, the generation that would come after them would by definition be different and would usher in yet another new period of the church which would establish a pattern that would endure until Christ should return. So who would be that next generation exactly? Well, we get precious little indication from this passage that the archetype for that next generation of leaders is being selected here. In fact, even the preceding context of this passage doesn't give us much of a clue. Is that features a dispute between Paul and his previous traveling companion, Barnabas, after which they go their separate ways. After that... Who could know that the next new companion that Paul chooses, Timothy, 
would even stay around for very long, let alone make such an impact. And yet, like many aspects of the church, his leadership is surprising and perhaps even ironic beyond this humble introduction. We will see that even as Timothy did not project outward earthly strength, he was inwardly strong in the Lord and followed after the Lord's gentle pattern of leadership. And so this morning we'll look at why Timothy was a surprising choice, why Timothy was a perfect choice. We'll look at the outcome of Timothy's godly leadership. And finally, what we learn from Timothy and Paul's instruction to him. But first of all, why Timothy is a surprising choice for such a position of leadership. Well, first of all, there's his mixed heritage to deal with. As we see here in our passage, Timothy was neither truly Jew nor truly Greek. And so it would be difficult for him to get respect from either group. Timothy was basically a man without an evident constituency. Now, this is difficult for us to understand, perhaps, because we live in a society that is wont to celebrate diversity. Diversity is a positive qualification for leadership in many corners of our society today. And you may have noticed, if you watch television at all, the number of mixed-race couples that you see in advertising. Again, an attempt to appeal to everybody and seen as something positive rather than negative. But rather, in the first century, those lines were very hard. And to not be Jew or to be Greek is to be on an island, in a sense, by yourself. And as such, you might be someone who could be a good member of the body, a helper perhaps, but certainly not someone that you would choose to be a leader. The second thing that was working against Timothy was his youth. And again, this goes against what our society has as values. Our society celebrates youth, aims for it, seeks to preserve it even in the most unnatural of ways. But that was not the case in the first century. In the first century, the mean life expectancy might have been the mid-30s. And of course, that owes in some ways to high infant mortality and a number of other things. But anyone who made it past that age and got to be older, well, they were seen as someone who beat the odds. They were seen as someone who had rare insight to offer. And as a result, with that wisdom and insight, age and not youth was venerated. And Paul addresses this even in 1 Timothy 4.12 when he tells Timothy Let no one despise you because of your youth. With the obvious implication of that is, people would be wont to despise Timothy because of his youth. He's not somebody you would pick as a leader, naturally. 
be difficult for him to get respect. And finally, there's Timothy's frailty and anxiety that seems to be indicated around the edges of much of Paul's communication with him. In 1 Timothy 5.23, Paul tells Timothy, Do not drink just water, but drink a little wine for his stomach and frequent ailments. Timothy comes across as perhaps somewhat frail. And 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul talks about this spirit of fear addressing what we're not to be presenting as Christians and as Christian leaders. And this is, this is seemingly somewhat latent in Timothy. And it, we see it sort of implied in Paul's instructions to the Corinthians when he tells them to receive him. He, said, he tells them to treat him, they, he tells the Corinthians to treat him gently, not roughly. And it seems to indicate that Timothy is perhaps timid and anxious by nature, and he needs to be treated with kid gloves rather than someone who immediately commands respect and, as it were, owns the room wherever he walks in. Now, a number have, have, uh, that have commented on this, they talk about this nervous stomach or this nervousness that Timothy has, and it doesn't, it doesn't, again, project strength. And perhaps this is an outgrowth of his semi-outcast status or his mixed heritage. Not sure where it comes from, but it certainly seems to be there, even well into his relationship with Paul. And frankly, all of these factors would have combined to eliminate Timothy from serious consideration of any group at the time, let alone the church. And Frankly, even in our own day, if Timothy were a ministerial candidate coming, I wonder how impressive he might be to us. And yet, we'll see in a moment that in many ways he was uniquely qualified for the sort of leadership that the early church really needed as it transitioned from apostolic leadership. So let us consider for a moment why Timothy is a perfect choice To lead the church. Well, first of all, there's this mixed heritage. And while in the spirit of the day, a mixed heritage such as Timothy would have made him a potential outcast from all sides, it was actually what the church at this moment particularly needed. Because you see, one of the biggest issues facing the church at this time was how to integrate the Gentiles into a church that was established entirely of those of Jewish heritage. And Paul's letter to the Galatians, if you've read that and are familiar with that, goes on to illustrate just how difficult this and widespread and divisive this issue was. Even... Peter, it would seem, could not get it right and lived in ungodly fear of this party known as the Judaizers. And as we come to this point in the Acts narrative, we are just one chapter removed from the Jerusalem council 
which was convened to deal with this very subject. What sorts of requirements for holiness needed to be placed on the Gentile converts who were coming into the church? Well, who better to go off and deliver that message, which we are told in verse 4, this was the decrees to keep, which was determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. They're talking about the outcome of the Jerusalem council. Well, who better to deliver that very message than the man who embodied both sides of the issue? And Timothy was such a man who straddled the line between Jew and Gentile, and as such could speak to both. But beyond that, we see his service, devotion, and obedience to Paul. And it's illustrated illustrated very dramatically in our passage by his willingness to be circumcised by Paul. Now, Timothy, at this point, is an adult. He'll be a young adult. And this request to be circumcised, which, as I'm sure you're aware, is a procedure normally performed mere days after birth and therefore forgotten by the person on whom it's performed, this is no small request that Paul is making here. And certainly it has more gravity than its brief mention in our passage would seem to indicate. Now, again, if you're familiar with the message of Galatians, it's unclear perhaps why Paul would want to do such a thing where he argues that circumcision really is nothing. And the explanation for this lies in Timothy's potential for ministry, not in his justification. The Jews in this region knew that his father was Greek, and they were never listened to him probably unless he fulfilled the Jewish nature of his mother. And if Timothy protested such a request, which was no small request, we see no record of it here. He submitted even to this most difficult of requests at the outset of his ministry, proving his usefulness to Paul. That loyalty would be borne out again and again throughout their relationship. Timothy was at Paul's side at his most difficult moments, such as as the imprisonment from which he writes to the church at Philippi. It is Timothy whom Paul wants with him once more at his later final imprisonment. Paul is wont to call Timothy his son in the faith in multiple settings. And more than anyone else, It seems that Paul is singling him out as his successor, though nobody could truly succeed Paul. And again, there's a difference between apostolic leadership and that which comes afterwards. And Timothy gets more specific instructions about leadership in the church than anyone else. And as such, he gives us a window into what that leadership should look like. And there are a couple of other things which qualify him for his leadership. One of which is his character and maturity. We're told in our own passage that everyone in the region speaks well of Timothy. 
And it's clear that in spite of his inherent disadvantages, he has made a significant positive impression on all who know him. And we do get some glimpse into the things about him which made that, which made that impression. First of all, Timothy, it would seem, is humble. Now, this is an inference, but it's an informed one. This is the other side of Timothy's anxiety and shy character. It's interesting that we have no record of any speech from Timothy in all of the whole New Testament. Given the volume of mentions of him, it's unusual that we hear nothing from his own mouth. In everything, it would seem he works in a low-key fashion, not attracting attention to himself, and something that all of Paul's writing to him and other mentions would seem to support. Second, he's loyal, which we've already seen how loyal he is to Paul himself, but he's also loyal to the church as a whole. He embraces the mission of the church, and he goes where he's needed, as we will see in a bit. Finally, Timothy is empathetic and compassionate. It's one thing that comes across clearly in the mention of Timothy are his empathy and compassion. He, as Paul writes to the Philippians, he says that he hopes to send Timothy to them, saying he has no one else like him who will truly be concerned for their interests and not his own. Compared to Timothy, everyone else looks to be self-serving, according to Paul. But also, beyond these character things, Timothy has real spirit-anointed gifts. In 2 Timothy 1.5, we're told that he was born of a sincere faith that was handed down to him from his upbringing by his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. And he speaks in both of his letters to Timothy that Timothy would fulfill the gift in him conveyed by prophecy and the laying on of hands. Timothy was uniquely set apart for the task of church leadership, and Paul reminds him of this not once but twice. Timothy is doing exactly what God created him to do. Both outwardly and inwardly, Timothy is qualified to lead God's people. Well, what is the outcome, then, of such leadership? What do we see? Well, we see, first of all, vulnerable churches uplifted. First of all, in Philippi. As we already have seen, Paul's intent in sending Timothy to Philippi is to encourage them during their distress over Paul's imprisonment. He said, again, Timothy is said to be unlike anyone else Paul might send there. And what sort of church? What do we know about the church at Philippi? Well, we know that it started in humble beginnings, that Paul and Silas were beaten in Philippi uh, uh, after casting a, uh, casting a demon out of a slave girl, and that this was a tiny church. In fact, the gifts that they sent were said to be beyond what they could give And yet they did to the shame of other churches like the church in Corinth. This was not 
a thriving, huge, stable congregation outwardly. This was a vulnerable church. And Paul would, would support a church in, a, in such a circumstance by sending Timothy to him. He had nobody better to help in a circumstance such as this. Second, there's the church in Thessalonica. And this is the church that Paul established immediately after leaving Philippi. And again, this was a tiny church that had Paul removed from their presence in an untimely fashion by means of a violent riot. And it's a church that is beset with some false teaching regarding the return of Christ. And they're vulnerable. It's unclear if they're going to make it. Well, who to send to make sure that they make it? It's Timothy. And Timothy is able to return to Paul with an encouraging word as to their status, as Paul mentions in his letter to them. So Timothy was your guy if you're looking to prop up a vulnerable church. He was embers to a flame long before there was such a program, it would seem. And yet Timothy's gifts weren't only to vulnerable churches. He also went to established churches that needed restraint. And the first and foremost of those certainly is the church in Corinth. Timothy is sent there, sent by Paul as his emissary. And this is a church that Paul has corrected on many fronts. This is a church who has been beset by false teachers, by false super apostles who have criticized Paul at every turn. These are, it would seem to be, very charismatic individuals, very influential individuals. And who does Paul send to counter that? He sends Timothy. He sends Timothy to speak to them because Timothy is the one who Paul trusts to help correct their wayward course. It's an uncomfortable setting for Timothy, it would appear, but not one that he is unable to handle to the benefit of this church which has so many problems. And then there's the church at Ephesus. And this is the church where Paul has left Timothy as he writes him. And Paul warned the elders of this church, you may remember, in Acts, as he, as he departs from them, saying that they will never see his face again, that false teachers are going to rise up out of their own midst and threaten the existence of the church. And indeed, that seems to be part of the issue as Paul writes to Timothy that there is false teaching there. And part of that is the nature of the city of Ephesus. It was literally an idol factory. Its leading industry was the creation of idols. And we see that as Paul is there, he is seen as an existential threat to their livelihoods, not just a competing religion. It's a tough church to be a part of in a tough environment. 
And again, Timothy is Paul's emissary to solve this problem. He's the one to preach the truth and to raise up elders who can do the same and preserve this church in this difficult place. So Timothy is not some sort of one-trick pony. He's able to enter into a variety of ministry situations and do what is appropriate, give what is needed for that particular congregation in the midst of its struggles. Paul is right to say he has no one else like him. And what can we learn then from Timothy and Paul's instruction to him? Well, as Paul was talking to Timothy to not allow anyone to despise him because of his youth, he tells Timothy to set an example for the believers in five areas. He tells them to set an example for the, for the believers in speech. Speech that encourages and doesn't tear down. In conduct that his conduct would be above reproach. And again, everyone spoke well of Timothy. In love. And the love that he has for the flock, and that he sets an example for them, that they might love one another. And in faith, and Timothy was raised in faith by his mother and his grandmother, and he exercises that faith doing what's uncomfortable for him. Remember, Paul tells Timothy to preach the word in season and out of season. In other words, speak the word of God even when it doesn't seem to be comfortable or people seem to be ready to hear it. He tells Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. It would seem that Timothy's natural spiritual giftings perhaps don't trend that way and doing evangelistic work is something that's uncomfortable for Timothy. And going into places like Corinth and Ephesus, very uncomfortable situations. Situations where one would have to exercise their faith in God. I don't feel up to this at all. In fact, I feel like I'm going to throw up. But nonetheless, you've called me to do this, and I trust you, Lord. Timothy was that example in so many ways throughout his life. He's also told to be an example in purity for the flock and to devote himself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Timothy was God's mouthpiece as well as Paul's mouthpiece. He, his primary means of Lifting up congregations were the empathy and the compassion that he showed to them and the word of God. Those were his weapons in this warfare. And from elsewhere in Paul's writings to Timothy, we, we see these qualifications for elders and deacons, the positions of leadership within the church. But here in what Paul says for Timothy to conduct himself we see how a leader ought to conduct himself once he is in that office of leadership. 
Above all, he's to be an example to the flock and love them while nourishing them with the truth of God's word. And this stands in the tradition of leadership that was established by Christ himself in Matthew 11, where he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Though even at Timothy's life, Christ was physically gone, as he is today, he has left his spirit and he has left leaders to gently govern, lead, love, and teach his church until he returns. And Timothy, better than anyone else, shows us just how they should do that. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for Timothy, for his leadership, and we thank you for the word that abides even to today and your spirit that we can enjoy these fruits of leadership even now. We pray for those who preach here and elsewhere faithfully, who lead. Be an encouragement to them to excel still more in this high calling. And we pray that your church would benefit from all these gifts. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.